Hello, everyone. You are listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast in which we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching that goes into this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I am your host, Ned Wilcock, and let's talk about some rules. Tonight, I am joined by our lovely dungeon master, Thomas Brower, who you've heard many, many times before. Thomas is uh, also an incredible geek like I am, and we really love getting into (laughs) the rules and the the deep, crunchy stuff of Dungeons & Dragons. And while that's something that we are very kind of attuned with, we realize that a lot of our listeners might not be as familiar with this, so we want to just kind of get into, you know, the crunch, as it were, of the game, the number crunching. Yeah, and Ned, like you were mentioning, uh, I, I, we talked about this, uh, me and Jacob, in the last Meet and Geek episode, but we have a, a surprising amount of listeners that um, have never listened or played a Dungeons & Dragons game before, which, shout out to you, all of you, because um, <laughs> it, we are super humbled by that response, uh, that you would be so willing to throw yourself off um possibly in the deep end if if you feel that way to be able to just try and follow along this story that we think is amazing and we hope you think is amazing too and to help maybe bridge that gap a little bit we want to help uh maybe peel back the curtain about what we're doing and why we're doing it and why we feel that dungeons and dragons is such a great medium for telling compelling stories having classic adventures and developing these strong relationships yeah and you know, we were kind of constantly talking about how we're creating a story here. And if you listen to interviews with like the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, when they're introducing the concept of D&D, it's always, this is a collaborative storytelling game. And so it kind of begs the question, if this is a storytelling game, why do we even have rules in the first place? Why don't exactly. we just tell the story? Yeah. Yeah. Why and why are we so why are we restricting ourselves to these set rules when we could create our own story with our own rules, right? Yeah. And I think that's what really sets uh tabletop role playing games apart from just like pure improv or pure theater. And the dice, I think, are a great symbol of why we have these rules. Just like in real life, whenever we undertake a task Uh, We never know whether it's going to fail or succeed. And so bringing the dice into the situation kind of simulates some of that randomness and creates some drama and uncertainty that makes the game a lot more exciting than it would otherwise be. Absolutely. I mean, you could be the most incredible bodybuilder in the world, but, you know, there's always that chance that for some reason your muscle's going to tweak as you're lifting your max weight or even a comfortable weight. And therefore life is just so uncertain and that in dungeons and dragons that's what the dice represent rolling dice for these skill checks if you will or you know like for saving throws is that uncertainty obviously if we were completely in charge of the story we'd want to succeed almost every single time right whenever we attempt to oh i want to climb this mountain i don't want to fall off it therefore i want to succeed so i i'd probably choose that but these dice are essentially like another player at the table who are introducing this randomness and forcing us to react to situations. And just from a Dungeon Master perspective, that is not only very reassuring that there's some other element at the table helping me create the story, like the randomness of dice, but it's also uh, a really refreshing because it keeps the game really new (laughs) it keeps the game Mm -hmm. interesting because i'm not the one who's just saying success failure success failure the dice are doing that yeah 
And as far as like how those fit into the narrative, I've had the question asked to me sometimes, how do you know when to roll the dice? You know, you're in this narrative flow and then suddenly, you know, here comes a stealth check or here comes an investigation check or whatever the case may be. And to that, I've kind of got two answers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps the more literal answer is in D&D on our character sheets, we have a list of skills things that our characters are trained in. Maybe they're more trained in one of them than another. Right. Um, but if I, as a character, say to Thomas, I would like to sneak my way past these guards, that's a very obvious indicator. All right, it's time for a stealth check. Or mm-hmm. if I'm looking around a room trying to find clues, there's your investigation check. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of these skills, I mean, we there's a quite, a, quite a bit of skills, honestly. And in previous editions of Dungeons and & Dragons and even the other tabletop games, there are even more skills. But to just keep it, I guess, quote-unquote simple, um, these skills allow for a certain amount of success or for a certain amount of failure, depending on the complexity of what you as a character or as a player are trying to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's real fun. That's real exciting. That's, at least to me, that's super exciting to be able to be like, oh gosh, like I, I tried to do a backflip off this wall onto the head of this giant. And then the dungeon master's like, uh, okay, well, that's pretty difficult. Uh, let's see if you do it. And uh, then you roll like something called a natural 20, which is just uh, on a 20-sided dice, getting the highest number you possibly can, a 20, and just feeling that rush of like adrenaline being like, I can't believe that worked, you know, like it's just very rewarding not knowing the success of what you were attempting. Yeah, it adds a lot of drama and excitement. And uh, I guess more kind of like maybe a broad answer to the question of how do you know when to roll the dice Some of you may be familiar with the fact that I'm really into a game called Fate, a tabletop RPG called Fate. Shout out to his uh, other podcast here that Ned is uh, also the game master for, Improv Tabletop. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Go give him a listen. Yes. Um, (laughs) In the handbook for Fate, uh, they kind of ask that question, when do you roll the dice? And their answer is pretty simply, if you feel like it's going to make the story more exciting or more interesting, if there's a chance for failure, that's when you ask for the dice to be rolled. Yeah. And I think that's a really, uh, that's a really fun sort of like rule to live by. Uh, I mean, there's some obvious things that, as you mentioned, Ned, there are some very obvious situations where you do want to call for a dice roll or, or it's like, okay, I'm trying to be stealthy. And uh, if I fail, we're probably going to be attacked or I'm probably going to be discovered. That is a really interesting situation as opposed to I stealth, uh, you know, past this per- i can't even think of an example with stealth because uh we we do it all the time with lance mm. but <laughs> but there are other things like i go to pick up this apple from the ground well that probably doesn't need a skill check unless yeah. because the it's like is it really going to be more <laughs> interesting if i fail to pick up this apple <laughs> right like oh i just will not pick up the apple and then try again or whatever you know so mm-hmm. absolutely i couldn't have put it in a better way so i think that's kind of our first topic that we wanted to hit on is it just makes the game more fun, more engaging. And I think for me, kind of the second big reason why it's important to have rules is it plays to the idea of having an adventuring party, one that's well-rounded in which each player has an opportunity to be distinct and unique and to bring something meaningful to right absolutely yeah and just to, I mean, not to get too into it, but in Dungeons and Dragons uh, and more traditional 
tabletop role-playing games, you have these things that are called races, um, which if anybody is even remotely familiar with fantasy, you know that there's a lot of different races. There's elves, there's dwarves, there's humans. There's a wide variety of different races, and each of them have their stereotype, if you will, or they have their, their, their strengths and their weaknesses. And then on top of that, you have your own uh, in D&D, you have classes. And these classes are like, what do you specialize in? Specifically to where uh, you can be an adventurer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe that's where you're kind of going with it, right? Yeah, ben? exactly. Like when you look at the inspiration behind a game like Dungeons & Dragons, the inspiration comes directly from fantasy novels. And I guess kind of the quintessential cultural touchstone that most people are familiar with would be Lord of the Rings. And Shout out to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. When you read those books or when you watch those films, you get a chance to see, man, Legolas is really good with that bow, but then you've got Gimli over here with his axe. And it's Mm -hmm. so incredible to see the different skills that these individuals bring together. And they are able to pick up the slack where others might be lacking a little bit. Right. Uh, They're able to complete different tasks and fill different roles within this adventuring party. And so... If we're talking about supporting a narrative, I mean, that narrative of having a group of competent people who support each other and work well together, that's at the core of fantasy adventuring. I think you bring up a really good point, Ned, because, uh, I mean, you look at that adventuring party, Gimli, Lakeless, and uh, uh, Strider, if you will, uh, <laughs> Aragorn. Um, but, like, you look, they all have their own specialties, Right. And although some are more main character than others at time, because it is a traditional novel, they have their own strengths that really do shine. I mean, especially in how they portrayed it in the movies, I feel like they each have that strength of like Legolas being awesome and sliding on a shield down the stairs and Gimli just completely annihilating these orcs and uh, Aragorn just with his uh, foolhardy heroic bravery at times, you know, but it gives every single person a chance to shine. And in Dungeons and Dragons, since you are playing with your friends, you are playing, or even with strangers, you want and you need to be able to share the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And having these rules, these well-defined classes um, that that call for their special, that, that each have their own specialties, that allows everybody to shine in their own way when their situation arises. It doesn't, um, it helps eliminate the... Uh, uh, I don't know the the chatty Cathy's at the table, if you will. You know, it helps eliminate eliminate one player becoming the sole focus for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and years and years and years, and years mm-hmm. because they can't do it alone. Yeah, and therefore everybody has to contribute, which just enhances the story and it just enhances the gameplay too. Yeah, and one of my favorite things is being able to learn what makes the other players so strong and contribute so much to the team and being able to support that. So I guess a good example, we'll get more into like the nitty gritty of this in a future episode probably, but you'll probably notice at certain points throughout the adventure, either Fleepel or Mal will say, I'm going to get right up next to this enemy because we know that if we're distracting that enemy, Lance can hit harder because of abilities that he has, like he has an ability called sneak attack. Right. He can do more damage to that enemy if one of us is distracting the enemy for him. And so the knowledge that he has that ability and that there's something I can do as a player to enhance that is something that I really love about this team dynamic. Yeah, it really like contributes to this synergy that um, at the table and it really helps to build that trust within the narrative as well. Like uh, as you mentioned, uh, 
Ned, like, oh, well, I'm going to help Jacob as the player to help his character shine. And therefore, you know, there, there's that trust that's getting built and everybody's getting uh, a more enjoyable experience by us being able to use these rules in a in a very creative and uh, effective way. Yeah. So in many ways, D&D is like the perfect team building group dynamics kind of exercise. Yeah, it really is. You start playing Dungeons and Dragons with a group of people and, you know, by the time you've gotten through a few sessions... Suddenly it's like, oh yeah, these are my best friends in the world. Right. And I mean, I I don't have any stats, of course, and I don't have any uh, I I'm I don't have any like research in front of me, but I do know that there are a lot of uh uh that there it, Dungeons and Dragons has been known to be used at like uh I mean, in business, specifically for like uh trust building exercises, corporate retreats and things of that nature because of how much that synergy really does help build that trust and uh, help each other. That's kind of a side tangent, not super related to the <laughs> rules of TNT, but yeah. Uh, I yeah, just yeah, found yeah, it man, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's it's so interesting that like, you know, we have this uh, this little mini series where we talk about the the rules of D&D and we can't help ourselves from kind of waxing poetic about how these rules uh, benefit everything else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should get into something crunchier. Yeah, as yeah, the, we, we got to put the, the kibosh on all of this on all of this non-rules related stuff. <laughs> um, so we we've talked a little bit about um, combat, and I think that is kind of the perfect example in D anD D of using the rules to forward the narrative. Right. Um, getting kind of into, I guess, a brief sort of history tangent. Um, Dungeons and Dragons has its origins in tabletop wargaming. I don't know exactly the origin of that, but you have like generals and tacticians, real world military commanders will play these war games with each other with these little miniature representations of armies on a tabletop to just hone their battle skills. And it was from these war games that Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson first got the idea to create Dungeons and Dragons. So there's certainly this undeniable legacy that Dungeons and Dragons has where as far as tabletop RPGs go, it's a very combat-focused RPG, and a lot of the rules exist to support that. Yeah, just to build on that, like, yeah, you bring up a really good point of, like, how in our episodes, we'll go back and forth uh, fairly fluidly on going from combat to out of combat, and I think that those two situations, like, it's... It can be sort of an on-off switch there to where, okay, we're, we're, we're talking, we're discussing what we want to do, we're exploring even, we're having this like 10 minute conversation in real time, and then all of a sudden we'll jump over to combat. And combat seems mm -hmm. to be almost fairly rigid, like, and it could seem like, for those, again, those of you that maybe have never listened to a DD and d game, I, I, it might seem like we're turning 180 degrees from this fluid story to this very... Uh, turn-based combat system here but it really does help enhance this adventuring party idea and the sense of adventure as you were mentioning yeah it's almost like time is measured in two different ways in DD. you've got your regular yeah. narrative flow of time and then once you get into combat you're in initiative you're in rounds and the rules behind that Everybody has a number on their character sheet that determines how dexterous they are how quick on their feet and based on how high your dexterity score is, that determines uh, how soon you might get to go in this combat here. 
And, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the idea of just highlighting each character's abilities. The reason why we want to get into these rounds and this turn-based system in combat is because we don't want one person to just over and over again say, I hit it with my sword, I hit it with my sword, I hit it with my sword. And you've got the spellcaster yeah. over here like, I'd like to maybe cast a spell, that'd be fun. <laughs> um, yeah. So whenever Thomas asks us to roll for initiative, we roll the 20-sided die, add our dexterity to that, and whoever has the highest number goes first, and so on and so forth down the line, so that everybody has a chance to show off what makes their character cool and competent. Right, and it allows others to be able to jump in to then enhance that character as well, as we mentioned previously about uh, Lance and their sneak attack. But as Ned mentioned, we're, we're, we'll get into a lot of the nitty-gritties about our character's specifically in future episodes uh that way we can get to know uh common terminology that mal uses or common term terminology that fleeple uses and things like that but yeah this initiative we go character by character or enemy by enemy even and we have these three basic things that you can do on your turn and you you might have heard me calling them out one, everybody can has a, some sort of movement that they are allowed to do, right? And that movement is just pretty typical in a battle. You can either choose to uh, have flight or stand and fight, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing that you have is something called an action. And although there are a lot of things that could be done with this action, if you will, the most common thing to use your action for is to cast a spell or swing your sword or shoot your bow. And then finally, that leaves something called a bonus action, which is just something very quick, very minor. It could be like chugging a drink or chugging a potion or things like that. But it's like one last little opportunity that the characters have to be able to squeeze something out, if you will, before the, it goes to the next person or goes to the next enemy. Yeah, and I think if I could use a couple cultural touchstones to maybe sort of illustrate the benefit of getting into this more slowed down way of doing combat. Uh, the first example I would mention is from the Matrix, what they call bullet time. Right. You know, somebody shoots some bullets at Neo and everything goes into slow motion as he dodges the bullet. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in film before. Right. And uh, perhaps a bit more of an esoteric example, but one that uh, Thomas and I are both very familiar with, <laughs> you know, going back to D&D um, &D being inspired by fantasy novels, one of the best fantasy writers out there, Brandon Sanderson. Oh, man. The way he describes combat in his yeah. books is on another level. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is on... Oh, I don't want this to become a Brandon Sanderson podcast, but <laughs> but when you bring up his name, I it's mean, hard not to gush about him. <laughs> yeah, it, it very easily could become a Brandon Sanderson <laughs> podcast. Uh, shout out to Brandon Sanderson, but Ned is exactly right. I mean, the way he, that he is able to describe the momentum and... Ned, I didn't even think about that. It's it's actually a great example because, one, he's an author, so he's telling a narrative, but then he is able to line out this combat that, although seems very frenetic, is very initiative-ordered and allows the you and your mind to keep up with it. Yeah. Uh, and being able to keep up with it as a reader is so much more satisfying than just, like, a bunch of chaos is thrown at you and you have to, like, try to pick up the pieces after everything is said and done, right? Yeah, you know, you compare this to, like, uh, the Jason Bourne films where when they start fighting, the camera's shaking all over the place. You can't tell a single thing that's going on, <laughs> whereas you're reading Mistborn 
and you can see in your mind's eye the mist getting displaced as a coin goes flying through the air. Mm -hmm. And you can see the person leaping and just dodging it by a mere fraction of an inch as it goes flying past them. That is... That's what getting into initiative does for this story. It lets us get a much better sense of what's actually happening in this game in a really cool way. Yeah, and not only that, I I, I don't mean to go back to it, but this is a shared story. And every single opportunity we have within these rules can be a great opportunity to share a story. You know, it to, to describe something more about your character, to be able to learn more about Mal. You know, like, oh my gosh, when we first met Mal, she wasn't that... Or rather, should I say Fleeple? When we first met Fleeple, we didn't know he was going to be as uh, vicious in battle as he turned out to be. You I know? mean, myself included. <laughs> right? But that was just a great opportunity to be like, okay, time has slowed down and it allows us to process these things to where we can make these interesting choices and therefore have an adventure. Because if we can't comprehend what's going on, if things are going by too fast, it's hard to have an adventure that's something that you can follow and something that's really fun, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. To to kind of play off of that example uh, with, oh, wow, Fleeple's a cold-hearted killer, it turns out. There's, <laughs> there's these fun little character realizations that come out in combat that make you go, why does Fleeple hate other kobolds so much? Mal, why why does she have this weird, like, fiendish smoke coming off of her when she casts mm-hmm. her spells? Right. Um, why why is Lance hearing these voices that are kind of, you know, guiding him through these combat situations? And not to spoil anything, but uh, to build on Mal, but, like, why does she have a particular hatred towards a specific race? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't come out until we get into battle. And if it were, if we were just to skip over battle continually... Those elements might never have been discovered. Those elements Mm -hmm. might never come out because it adds that extra layer of who these characters are. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we intended for there to be so much uh, misanthropy when we started off on this adventure. (laughs) Um, But it's it's something that has come out because of the way we fight, uh, which is Mm -hmm. just kind of cool to see. Absolutely. And so I hope with, with all these examples, we've helped you to kind of understand a bit of why we get so excited about having all of these kind of complicated rules uh, right. getting in the way of our story. <laughs> it's because they, they don't get in the way of the story. They enhance it yes. in some really cool ways. And I think that's where uh, um, uh, maybe newcomers or people who uh, just haven't had the experience or opportunity to um, hear it from a D&D player, they can look at the player's handbook. And, <laughs> and I, I guess we should preface all of this. The player's handbook is quite long. I mean, there are quite mm-hmm. a few pages in this rule book that we're referring to. Um, and we're referring to the yes, player's three, handbook. 320, I believe, to be specific. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it can seem fairly intimidating. Um, but at its very core, it's just to help everybody have a good time. Mm-hmm. It's to help enhance these choices and enhance everybody's experience. And, you know, you don't have to know all of the rules right up front. I certainly didn't when I started DMing, and I still don't, as you will continue to find out throughout the podcast. You will hear random rules being brought up that I'm like, oh, I never knew about that. Well, all right, let's go with that. And it's just another opportunity for us to help each other, lift each other, and enhance the whole experience. Yeah, and you know, moving forward with Crunch Squad, we're going to start getting into 
you know, why are rogues so cool? Why are druids and warlocks so cool? Mm -hmm. And just hopefully help you guys eventually come to love these rules as much as we do. And maybe when we do call out for what flanking is, you understand what we're talking about instead of being like, all right, that's another word that I might not be familiar with. And uh, to maybe help make future episodes not so confusing and you too can follow along with each moment and moment situation in combat or outside of combat to where you could hopefully visualize it as well um, instead of it being a chaotic jumble. Yeah. So now that we've... uh thoroughly kind of seeded the pot for uh hoping to get everybody hooked on crunch squad um <laughs> you know just thank you thank you all so much for listening to this week's bonus episode of i cast fireball uh we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed uh fanboying about brandon sanderson yep yep uh, <laughs> and you know wherever you get your podcasts from please leave us a review. It helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our show on other people's recommended feeds and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. If you want to write something a little longer than a review, you could also email us at icastfireball2020 gmail.com. And if maybe you have a rule that you'd like us to highlight yes. here on Crunch Squad, mm-hmm. we would love to hear it. Yeah, We would absolutely. love to give you guys the content that you're wanting some clarification on. Yes. And aside from that, we'd just love to hear from you. And, you know, we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire. <laughs> now, to get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle iCastFireball20. There you can get possible sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, interesting insight from the players and the DM, and behind-the-scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world. Before we go, want to plug Ned's podcast here, Improv Tabletop, where he's the game master, and he runs through month-long mini-campaigns using the Fate-accelerated tabletop system. Although that is a more improv-based tabletop system, it is... Oh, it is just a ton of fun to listen through. I, I listened to uh, their month-long Lego adventure, and it was just an amazing experience to be able to see how they build on each other's ideas while also letting the dice decide how random and how uh, these certain events are successful or unsuccessful in some of these cases. It's a good time. Go give them a listen. Lastly, please, you know, like, subscribe, share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. Until next time, I am Ned, the host of Crunch Squad, and I have been joined by... Thomas! The man himself. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the fire going, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye!